Uh, let's prepare our hearts for God's word through prayer. O Lord, we humbly ask that through your word today, we might gain a greater vision of who you are, a greater and deeper understanding of your work in this world. Amen. Amen. Scripture reading this morning is from Psalm 29. Hear these words from God's word. Ascribe to the Lord, O mighty ones, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf, Syrian, like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. This is the word of the Lord. So what is the most powerful storm you have ever witnessed? If I asked this question in a classroom, for sure, there would be hands that would go up all across the room. I've got a story to share. Uh, maybe this isn't the most powerful storm that, that I've witnessed, but it was one that I experienced. Um, it's probably over 10 years ago. Uh, it was in the evening, and there was an event at Timothy Christian. Uh, now, I live just a few blocks away, so I walk to school and back every day, whether it is raining, snowing, sunny, regardless of the weather, this is what I do. So on this particular evening, I prepared to walk. It was raining, not a problem. However, it was thundering and lightning. So... My wife said, you really need to drive tonight. And she repeated this. And I replied, I am man, I walk. <laughs> and I left. She's like shaking her head like, what, this guy? I was about two blocks into my walk when all of a sudden there was this flash of light and sound very close together, meaning that this lightning was was nearby. It didn't have time for the sound to travel with the thunder. There was this massive flash of light, this boom that happened. And then when I opened my eyes, I was on the ground. I didn't even know how I got there. I mean, well, obviously, I was flattened. Now, I was not, I was safe. Um, uh, kids, 
do not walk outside when it's thundering and lightning. Men, listen to your wife on this one, okay? Anyway, I'm on the pavement a bit shaken because I was out of control. I was, I was shaken. I just kind of calmed myself with my breath. What just happened? And then I remember the next thought in my mind, was anybody looking out their window to see this? This would be so embarrassing. My point here is that I was at the mercy of the storm. The power was overwhelming. You know, weather and natural disasters, they have their way with us. The will of wind and water is strong. But as we will see in the Bible this morning, God's power is even above that. So I hope to, to emphasize this point to you from God's word this morning. God rules the world with overwhelming power and perfect peace. God rules the world with overwhelming power and perfect peace. Now, before we dive into the psalm proper, I'd like us to just spend a moment with the context of Psalm 29. I don't know about you, but when I read through the book of Psalms, there are certain places where there's a discernible order, uh, but it does not seem like the book of Psalms has a very clear organizational structure like you would find in some other pieces of literature. Um, What's interesting about Psalm 29, it, it is in a, a little collection of psalms here uh, between Psalm 25 and 33. I wish I could tell you I figured this out, but I didn't. I learned this, okay? So Psalm 25 has 22 verses. That is the number of letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Psalm 33 has 22 verses, the number of letters in the Hebrew alphabet, and Psalm 29 operates as the hinge, the hinge psalm between the psalms on either side. So on either side of Psalm 29 is a collection of psalms that are essentially the psalmist calling out to God for hope and declaring trust in the Lord. So these are all psalms, Lord, we desperately need you. We do seek to put our faith in you in our desperation. And so what's happening is right in the middle of these psalms in which there is great need, there is this Psalm 29 that cements the idea that God has overwhelming power, he rules over all, and he gives peace. He gives peace. So as we look at this uh, psalm and try to understand God's overwhelming, and po overwhelming power and peace, uh, we're going to look at, at the truth of the Lord, the voice of the Lord, and the rule of the Lord. Okay, so we start with the truth of the Lord. Uh, this is a very quick point, so don't drift off. This is going to be a quick one, all right? So uh, the truth of the Lord. Uh, this is the call to worship, and it is specifically the call to worship in the heavenlies. So it is a call to worship for the heavenly beings, the angels, a call to worship for the angels to praise God. And how are they to praise God? They do it with this word, ascribe. So it says, ascribe to the Lord. 
Uh, now, I don't know about you, but when I think of a scribe, I think about the New Testament and Jesus' day, there were lots of scribes, and there's a scribe, okay, who copies the Bible, translates the Bible, and then teaches the Word of God, teaches the law of God. That is a scribe. You can give me a courtesy smile for that one, okay? So, now obviously that's a person. Here is a verb. It's a verb, ascribe. Ascribe means to give something. So in the context of the psalm, uh, what is being given in worship? It is declaring the truth of God. So you're ascribing to God, you're giving God worship by declaring truth about him. And specifically, uh, it is uh, glory and, uh, sorry, glory, strength, and holiness. O God, you are glorious, you are strong, and you are holy. The truth of the Lord. Now we move into the body of the psalm and the voice of the Lord. Now, verses 3 through 9, here's a quick overview, okay? It is kind of like a meteorologist, a storm tracker, but they did not have radar invented yet. That would have been helpful. But here, it's a storm tracker, okay? So verses 3 through 9, Mediterranean Sea, there's a storm, hits the north, and then it bends and travels south through the land of Israel. And uh, so we follow the track of this storm, and then what is the result of it? The end of verse 9 of this section, all the people in his temple do not cry, oh, this is scary, oh, no, what's happening to us? No, they cry, glory, glory to the Lord. So that's the overview of the psalm. Storm tracker, and then people cry, glory. Now, when you think about it in the ancient world, what were the three most powerful forces that people had to contend with? Simply, the Mediterranean Sea, this massive body of water, Secondly, storms, just literal storms, thunder and lightning, scary. And also earthquakes, the ground shakes, you feel helpless. And guess what? This psalm has all three. All three talking about the power of creation, but ultimately talking about God's overwhelming power over creation. So now the voice of the Lord. Uh, if you, uh, I'm sure you noticed, as I read this middle part, it kept repeating the voice of the Lord, the voice of the Lord, the voice of the Lord. It repeats it seven times. Does that number seven ring a bell with you? Seven. In the Bible, seven often is the number of completion. So it is thought that the point here, the psalmist was trying to subtly communicate, is that God's power over creation is complete. It may not seem like it with the chaos of the sea and the storm and the earthquake, but no, no, no. God's power is complete. Now, this is very important. To us, you've heard this before. Well, of course, God's power is complete. But think about this. In the ancient world, uh, every people group had their gods. And where did the gods reign? The gods reigned over the territory of that people group. So the Amorites, they had Molech, and Molech was their god over their territory. 
Do you think the Amorites believed that the Israelite God existed? Sure, oh yeah, that's the God of the Israelites. But guess what they thought? The Israelite God just rules over the Israelite territory. And then you got the Egyptian gods, you know, uh, gods up north, south, all of this. And the Bible is, is speaking into the ancient world saying, no, 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 no. This is not some territorial deity. This is the God over all with overwhelming power. Now, if you and I think that we are so enlightened that we're not going to believe in territorial gods, which we don't, uh, we could challenge us with the point, do you live your life where God is absolute Lord over every part of your life? We all have this area to grow in in acknowledging God's rule over all. Now, uh, let's go to the, uh, the storm track here. Uh, the storm gathers over the Mediterranean Sea, and then the, the passage says it moves into Lebanon, north of Israel. And it also moves uh, to Mount Hermon. In the text, it says Syrian, but that's Mount Hermon, 9,000 feet above sea level, the biggest mountain in the entire region. And it's even affecting kind of life on this massive mountain. Uh, then it talks about the storm heading south to Kadesh. And as it heads south, what's going on? Thunder and lightning. Thunder and lightning that will bring you to your knees like it did me that one day when I walked to school. It was, what's the point? It was scary. It was scary. It says that the ground shakes this would be an earthquake. The ground is shaking. And then it talks about the cedars of Lebanon. Now, we get to a tree. Of course, I have a picture of the tree, okay? So uh, this is a cedar of Lebanon. Um, now, this is just one planted there. In Lebanon would be forests filled with this tree. It was the biggest longest living, most majestic, and most useful tree of the time. This tree was powerful and strong. Um, by the way, uh, this tree is from England. And uh, just to let you know, this is a little aside. In the 1800s, uh, the wealthy in England thought it was very trendy to plant sequoias from California and cedars of Lebanon uh, from Lebanon. And so this was in the 1800s. So now uh, they're quite nice trees. Uh, behind it in the back, you see the two trees kind of pointing more narrow. Those actually are, are sequoias, okay? But anyway, this tree, more than the sequoia, it's not as tall, but it has this spread. And its wood is strong. Now, what does the Bible say about the cedars of Lebanon? The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Okay? Cedar of Lebanon, just the strongest tree, and just like this. That, that's the power of the storm. Um, interestingly, um, in uh, verse... 
9, it says, the voice of the Lord twists the oaks. Uh, so uh, if you're interested in this, uh, there is a footnote that says, or makes the deer give birth. So apparently the Hebrew, don't, don't ask me why, but this is, this is a thing. The Hebrew could either mean twists the oaks, which is another strong tree, right? An oak tree is long living, very strong. Twists the oaks. The alternative translation is makes the deer give birth. So interesting. Now, uh, I look this up, and most of Bible translations have twist the oak, because kind of in context, break the cedars. However, uh, the ESV, which is a very popular translation, and another one I found actually puts, makes the deer give birth, like in the text, and they footnote uh, twist, twist the oak. Uh, kind of interesting there. The point, though, is the same. The power of God is so overwhelming, either mighty oak tree, trees are twisted, or it is so powerful that it shocks the deer so much, it shocks them into premature birth. It's such overwhelming power. That's kind of what's uh, going on uh, with the passage there. So uh, as we read through here, we see the power of the storm but what are we constantly reminded of? The voice of the Lord. The voice of the Lord. We feel helpless in a storm. We should be that much more humbled and dependent upon this almighty God that is supreme over all. So the psalmist takes the greatest powers that people could experience back then, so they can get, a, get an idea of this. Think about the greatest power that makes you feel helpless. What is that? And God is above that. God's power is overwhelming. And the response in the psalm at the end of verse 9, and in this temple all cry glory. The voice of the Lord. And then finally, the rule of the Lord. The rule. Uh, the Lord sits enthroned over the flood. So at the beginning of the psalm, worship God in the heavenlies. Then it's, it's as if God comes to earth and he is over the storm system. And then the last two verses is not worship God in the heavenlies, it's God here on earth. Uh, interestingly, the word flood does not mean just oh, the ground is flooded. This is a very specific word referencing in Genesis, the flood. So let's pick, in other words, the greatest natural disaster, cataclysmic event, the flood, and guess what? That's not out of control. God is enthroned above that. His rule, he rules with overwhelming power. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. Where is God enthroned on earth? His temple in Jerusalem, where all the people are crying glory. He is enthroned there. And the Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. The God Baal who was a temptation for Israel to worship. He was a storm god, Baal was. Okay, so storms are significant. He's a storm god. And he had 
people believed, okay, some power, right? But what did Baal's power lead to? Baal's power led to worship in fear of what Baal might do. Is he going to be on our side or not? Uh, his plans can be fickle. They can change. Uh, the heavenlies, actually the heavenlies were kind of like humans and all of our issues on a grander scale. So you couldn't always count on him. Uh, this was the problem with the territorial gods. You worship them, but it's out of fear. What is the Bible saying? God is overwhelming. His power should make you tremble. Like, you don't play with it. You do not treat it lightly. However, in this overwhelming power, where does it lead? It leads to peace. It leads to peace. What a blessing that is. So as we reflect on this psalm, what is our response? Uh, our response first is, I am the Lord. Who is, who is God? God is, I am the Lord. There is no other. I reign supreme. And as the beginning of the psalm states, a God of glory, a God of strength in the splendor of his holiness, this is who God is. In this part, you need to think about Moses at the burning bush. What did Moses do? He took off his sandals and hid his face. Uh, in this part, you think of uh, uh, King Solomon and the Israelites dedicating the temple. And when the prayer was finished, what happened? The glory of God appeared. Fire fell from heaven on the sacrifice, and the people trembled and hit the deck. Perhaps you think of the Apostle John in the book of Revelation, his vision of Jesus at the beginning of the book, and the Apostle John says, I fell down before the Lord as if dead. My point, there are times in which we treat the mighty living God too lightly, and we need to acknowledge his overwhelming power and rule. But it doesn't stay there. It moves into this idea of who am I? And because God is a God of relationship and covenant, God says, you are mine. You are my people, and I make promises, and I'm faithful to those promises with my people. I am not just a God who is transcendent. God is transcendent, holy other, I am also a God that is imminent, a God that is close. So close, in fact, that one of my names, one of the names of Jesus, is Emmanuel, God with us. And God came to give us perfect peace through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is of eternal comfort to us. Finally, the correct order. This is important because what happens in our world often is people will say, oh, yeah, I believe in God. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but practically speaking, what happens? M many would say, 
Do you know, uh, I really appreciate the comfort, the feeling that religious things and a belief in God gives me. I, that's, that's nice. It, 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 it makes me feel good. And then they will form God in their own image, or they will, they will change things to be like, well, I like this about God, I don't like this about God, so I'll accept this, and I won't accept this. It's the wrong order. The order begins with me and what I want, and then it changes who God is. The correct order is, and this isn't just the correct order in the psalm. This is the whole testimony of the Scripture. The correct order, fundamental, is first we acknowledge who God is. We acknowledge his reign. We acknowledge his rule. We acknowledge his moral order. And it should, in a sense, make us tremble. This is living in the fear of the Lord. And out of response to who God is, we submit to God. We submit to God, and we then live in perfect peace. So, friends, peace is not something we seek. Peace is something we receive. Perfect peace is something we receive when we acknowledge a glorious, strong, holy God, submit to God, and then we receive a life lived in this peace. And so... God's rule, God rules the world with overwhelming power and perfect peace. Amen. Let's pray. Mighty God and gracious God, as your word has hopefully enlarged our vision of you today, given us a greater understanding of your majesty and power. May each one of us respond. Respond to you with a life of, of service, of submission, of understanding that on our own we are helpless and we desperately need you. We humbly ask, O oh God, that as we look to you as the one who rules over all, that we may receive your peace. That the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, might abide in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.